I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. (sighs) (sighs) Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sick Boy Podcast of the Antica Podcast Network. Today is a big day. Do you guys know why? Why? Because we have made it to episode 100. Holy fuck. Right? Right? <laughs> episode 100, right? guys. And what's so special about this episode? Um, I think it's like a, that that something with, that has one in a, and any type of zeros in it is a milestone. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's a pretty big milestone. But content-wise, yeah. this is pretty standard. For uh, yeah, we're pretty much just doing a normal episode. Actually, not really. This episode, this week's episode is kind of special. Um, well, I mean, we're talking about some pretty, pretty wild stuff. I mean, I don't want to get into it too much, but we basically talked to a guy who, uh, died, went to the afterlife and came back. Yeah. How many fucking times do you get to do that? Dude, he's spiritual AF. Yeah. Uh, our guest today is, uh, David McGinley. He is, uh, he's one of those people like, you, you know, you meet someone. I think there's probably about three people in my life now in total where, I've met and you, you like, you cannot help. And I, and I don't know that this is a common thing. If everybody has that person in their life or everybody has had those people kind of find their way into their life. I think it's a common thread. Okay. So the, the kind of person that you go there, there is something about you that is unlike any other human I've ever met. Like, uh, like, cult leader type of <laughs> type of charisma. I yeah, mean, he's very Jim Jones. You yeah, know? right. There's a very um, Charles Manson-y um, vibe about them that you just can't, you just can't like, help but gravitate towards them. I feel them. like those aren't the best people to compare David McGinley to. <laughs> well, yeah, you know what? You're probably right. David McGinley is a very sweet, uh, a very sweet, very humble, very intelligent. David's um, listening and, to this right now going, man. Oh, son of a bitch. I was, was, was going to share this with my audience, but I don't think I can now. Um, um, the, other, the other thing is, too, is that I feel like ev- everybody I meet in the world is very unique uh, in their own beautiful way. Shut your face, okay, Brian. Brian. But but what you know, you know what I mean by that, though, right? Absolutely, like, like absolutely. There's, there's something about... And and we should we should just kind of stop blowing smoke up David's butt while a he's not here and b like l- just let the listeners kind of hear it for themselves. But he's he's a special guy. Mm. He is a special human, and uh, and and you know what? I was really nervous to sit down with a. So David is a chaplain. He is a he is a Lutheran chaplain, um, and man oh man. That was the last person I thought we'd ever see come through the sick boy doors to mm. sit down and record. Well, he that. almost converted us. <laughs> yeah, actually, though, I was, <laughs> I, I was kind no, of, uh, no, no, I, no, no, really. I like, if there's someone that's going to convince you that like you, like having some sort of faith is worth your while, it would be him. Not that he like tried to convert. No, us. no, no, no. Yeah, there was no, but there what was, I'm saying is that, that after talking to him, I was like, Hey, you know what? Like, 
I want what he's on. Take me to church. <laughs> well, dude, that's a, that's the interesting thing. And I, we, you know, we, we kind of, we don't really get into it in the episode, but like when I hear someone, um, and, and I think that the, the root of, of that type of person that's really compelling, uh, is, is the level of insight that they have into yeah. certain types of ideas and the way that they convey <laughs> that insight to the people around them and go like, Hey, have you ever thought that this could be a possibility? Mm-hmm. And then they, they convey that, whatever that idea is. And, and it's, it, 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 it has so much depth to it that you can't help but go, wow, maybe you're yeah. right. Even if it completely, if it's completely contrary to everything else that you've ever thought. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a really amazing conversation and, and, uh, and an awesome blend of, um, of kind of, um, ethereal, uh, spirituality and, and science, mm-hmm. which, um, which this I is, really cool. this is an episode that I feel like personally, I'm going to go back and listen to many, many, many times because Same. I feel like there's so much depth to this discussion that it, it's something you need to like re-listen to, to totally digest and and let's leave it at that i mean there's you know uh let's let the listeners hear it and and take from it what they will but uh but you're in for a treat um needless to say and to access the this episode you have to go to patreon and become a hundred dollar no 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 although it can uh, be free some interesting thing that you just said there bry um and i know it's our podcast but like even though it's it's something that we make ourselves um i still find that you know, the, one of the biggest things for me over these 100 episodes we've done is that this has been such a massive learning experience for myself. You know, I hear Joe Rogan talk about it all, all the time, right? Where he's like, this is my job. I just sit down and talk to interesting people about their worldview or their profession or whatever. And it's things that I don't necessarily agree with, or I don't necessarily know anything about. And I learn so much and I feel the exact same way. Like we have this opportunity to sit down with these amazing, beautiful, you know, interesting, fucking hilarious people. And I learn so much from doing this podcast and I'll often catch myself going back and listening to episodes we've done in the past because I know that we've touched on something that like might kind of help me out in like whatever, whatever I'm going through in that particular time. So I'm wondering, do you guys have any episodes over the last 100 that stick out to you that are ones that you've kind of gone back to um, because you've really taken a lot, taken away a lot from it? Um, I, I was having, uh, I was telling somebody yesterday, um, as, uh, they were leaving class, um, and it was somebody who, who comes to my, uh, my yoga classes all the time. And she said, I'm going on a road trip. Uh, and I, I, I've, I haven't listened to sick boy before. What is, where should I start? Phimosis. <laughs> uh, I was, and then, and then I actually, I gave her a few suggestions and then she said, I'm, uh, just asterisk. Road trip with my family. <laughs> and I was like, okay, uh, let me refine those suggestions. Um, so I, I, it just got me thinking about, about all the cool conversations that we had. And I went back and I, you know, I, I mentioned Matt Amiot's episode and, and Layton's episode. Some of yeah. those, some of those early ones that really kind of set the tone. Um, our first episode, of course. And, uh, one thing that I, I thought that I had in the moment was the, uh, episode with Ricky uh, HIV and, and, and particularly because, and maybe something that, and not, not something that comes up very often on the show where we need to challenge our guests. 
Um, but something I really love about listening to Joe Rogan is that he he is completely unafraid to challenge Ooh. his guests on the ideas that they have. And that's, you know, that's the reason he has them in so that they can have a, a you know, either a, a conversation about something that they both agree with or a debate about something that they both disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like thinking back to that episode and, and knowing that if that we were presented with a challenge in that episode where we had to, uh, where we had to, to voice our disagreement with some of the things that came up. Um, and I think that that is a really important aspect when you are having these conversations where people are, people have ideas, um, and concepts that by and large, like 99% of the time we go, Oh yeah, that's interesting. And I can get on board with that if you explain it well. And, but to challenge it when it doesn't, um, I, uh, I kind of thought back to that conversation and thought that was cool because of, because of the, because of the way that we had to disagree. And that episode, for those of you who are maybe new to the podcast or you just kind of been trying to catch up, uh, is episode 26 HIV with reckless abandon. Uh, definitely an episode that sticks out to me for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Bray? For me, it's, it's, uh, it's episode 88, uh, body dysmorphic disorder. I want to take my face off. Oh. Um, yeah, and the, and there was something that happened <coughs> to me in that conversation. And, and Jerry, you're talking about learning experiences, and and this was a big one for me. Um, since we started this podcast, I've been in the the camp that if somebody says that they're dealing with depression, um, that if that if there's a person who responds to that by saying "cheer up," I I think that's ridiculous. Mm. You know, people who are de- dealing with depression, they don't just have the ability to cheer up. So when we were doing this episode, uh, on body dysmorphic disorder, uh, our guest was talking about these, these wrinkles and these marks that she was seeing on her face and her, her, her twin sister was seeing them as well. And, and I'm sitting here listening to her talking and, and I keep thinking, but, but you don't have them on your face. Can't you just look in a mirror and, and can you ask somebody and, and just have them tell you that you don't have those marks on your face and believe them? And then, she looked at me and, and kind of responded to that by saying like, no, like I was obviously, I was seeing that that was my reality. And then I, I think Jerry, you said it's the exact same way to saying, to saying somebody with, to saying something, sorry, to saying to somebody with depression to cheer up is the exact same way that I was approaching her about her Ooh, mental yeah. illness. And, and I was like, oh my God. I understand that concept, but I didn't apply it to this situation. Right. And I realized that, okay, when we're dealing with mental illness, you can't think from your own experience of life, your own perspective, and apply that to the situation. You have to understand that their reality is totally different than the one that you're living in. And not mm. totally different, but but is different in, in that as, aspect mm-hmm. or right. facet. Uh, I think one that I've I've listened to a couple times and gone back to is the episode with John Granton about lung transplant because he came in and was like, I'm going to change your mind about getting a lung transplant. And I was like, bring it on, bitch. <laughs> and uh, he he kind of did a pretty good job of like of like shifting my perspective. And then what I found really funny, like over the last 100 episodes is like whenever we talk to somebody else who has CF or whenever we talked or if we're like out at an event or like if I'm doing like a a talk at like a CF Canada event or something and they're talking about the people who passed away and or or we talk to someone who's had a double lung transplant my like I have this sort of like battle in my mind where I'm going oh 
but John Granton said this and, but yet these people are dying and like this person had, had chronic rejection. And so mm-hmm. it was just like one of those things that, uh, I'm still, I still go back to every once in a while. I'm like, how do I really feel about it? I'm still trying to figure that out. I don't know. Well, it's one of those ideas that you, you have a stance on it. We go in, we talk to John Granton. He provides you with Some another, context. another side to mm-hmm. that, to that idea that then shifts you. And I feel like as humans, and I imagine that you guys and almost everyone listening can, can identify or relate to this, that (laughs) we have a side and then we hear another side and then we simplify it as going, it's either one or the other. Yeah. Black and white. When really the situation is so much more complex than that. And then if we have just three more conversations with people, that's going to give you three more sides to the same idea. Somebody who had success with the lung transplant, someone who had almost no success, someone who has had, you know, like Tara Bork, who's had, um, she's, she's, going, she's, on her, she's going on her second transplant. Yeah. Third set. Like and that's she's what she's like hoping her, for. She's in her early twenties. Yeah. So it's like, you know, there's so the variation of what can happen is so vast and it's not as easy as you having one idea and John giving you another idea and then choosing between which one you like the best. Mm-hmm. Um, well, <clears throat> That was fun. Little recap over the 100 episodes. If you have a favorite episode or there's one that you, uh, you, the listener, tend to go back to um, from time to time, or there was something that you really took from an episode that you listened to, uh, let us know. Hit us up on Facebook. Hit us up Instagram, Twitter. Tweet at us. Uh, send us an email. Info at sickboypodcast.com. We want to hear from you. Um, I don't know. I'm just, guys, I'm so like fucking proud of the three of us for having... Having stuck with it, stuck with this like little fucking project, a hundred episodes. It's just so cool. Dude, yeah. every Monday for two years. I don't think there's, I don't think, I don't think there's missed a day, a, I don't, a Monday. I don't think there's anything else in my life other than when I jerking off played hockey and yeah. And, and jerking off obviously is a consistent, <laughs> is one of the most consistent or every Monday the most, for the two most years. consistent. Um, I don't think there's anything else in my life other than training for sport, um, that I ever did with as much consistency as, uh, as this. Yeah. Dude, so. I, I can tell you why it is though. And I, I don't think it's for, for the three of us. Like I think that it's for the people that are listening right now, because if it wasn't for the, the people yeah. who, uh, reach out to us and send us emails and, and, uh, tweet at us and, uh, write us on Instagram and what other social media things can we, uh, you know, mention here? Well, there's a Twitter, all of them, LinkedIn, yeah, that, that LinkedIn. Russian one that we got on the oh, Kazakhstani one. Dude, we're yeah. all over the world. Yeah. yeah. So it, but if it wasn't for those messages and it was, if it wasn't for the community that's, that's been created around this, then I don't think that it mm. would have mm-hmm. lived for this long. So thank you all for bringing us to this point. Um, before we do throw it to today's, today's, uh, episode, uh, with David McGinley, uh, the magical, uh, unicorn of a human, um, there's a few things I just kind of want to update everyone. I feel like we've got so much going on Mm. and things are getting so crazy busy and I kind of want to let our listeners know like what we're up to. Uh, the big one, well, the big one, uh, the one that is always very exciting is that the best of Halifax, uh, for the coast has opened up again for voting. And because we were the gold winners last year, uh, we, we kind of had a buy into the, into the top six. Oh, there was a, that's how that works. Yeah. So we're already there. Sweet. Um, and if you voted already, thank you. Um, if you haven't head on over to the coast.ca, click their best of Halifax, 
2017 voting. We're under news and media, and it's so easy. You go in there, you choose podcasts, best podcast, choose Sick Boy. Uh, there's another podcast on there if you want to. Uh, if you have a second email you want to use, it's a Turn Me On podcast. Just, just, just saying, uh, and vote, uh, and you just need to set up an email, and that's it. And um, and also nighttime pods on there. Yeah, too. nighttime Would pods you, on there. And if you haven't listened to nighttime podcast. Please do. Yeah. Uh, Jordan's doing a Jordan's fucking awesome. fantastic job. And he's a huge advocate for podcasting in Halifax. But don't vote for him. Vote, vote for, for us. us. Uh, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, so that's really exciting. Uh, what's another thing that's coming up, guys? Oh, in the fall. Ooh. We got, uh, well, Jeremy, in on October 27th, you will be doing a TED Talk at TEDx Toronto. TEDx Toronto. The biggest TEDx event in Canada. Mm-hmm. How uh, exciting is that? So we're, uh, we're super proud up. of, uh, of Jer for being selected for that. And, um, and we'll be there, um, cheering them on. They, they, they advocate for silence while they're speaking, but we're yeah. going to try to kind of flip that on its head yeah, and, please heckle. and have a raucous crowd the whole time Jeremy's speaking. We feel like that's our idea worth spreading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah that's our Heckling idea worth spreading. Um, and we are going to be, uh, we're kind of waiting on the date. Should we mention the doc? We should actually, well, we should mention, uh, this is the first year that they've opened up public tickets to TEDx Toronto. So if you're someone who's listening and you want just a full day in Toronto, October 27th of like amazing speakers and a whole day of TEDx, um, get your ticket. They're fucking expensive, but totally worth it. Mm -hmm. I would say I've been Um, to TEDx here in Halifax and it was incredible. I mean, you know, the, the organizers that, that, uh, that put this event on, I mean, they, they do their best to get in you know, some of the, some of the coolest people that have, um, really amazing ideas, um, worth spreading and, uh, and it will be a really good time. Mm. My idea worth spreading. I I haven't told you guys yet. I've been working on my speech. It's, um, it's the, the, the fact that coughing, covering your cough is so underrated. Like it's so overrated. We should just be able to cough outwardly into the world, spread it around, spread everything around. Like it's just like I'm spreading my idea with my cough, right? (laughs) Yeah, and and the stigma around covering your mouth when you cough, right? right, Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Mm -hmm. how are you going to get? How are you going to build up your immune system if you're not exposed to everyone else's germs? That's right. right? So cough in your neighbor's face. Mm -hmm. Hope they cough in yours. Yeah. Um, So we are going to be. We're waiting still on the date, but we've uh, we've got um, kind of an estimation of of in November that our CBC documentary is going to be airing, hitting the airwaves. We've all and we've all seen the first twenty minutes of it so far. And, and and I have to say, I was super hard the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's a porn, dude. Well, that's because yeah. I was sitting next to you, stroking. <laughs> okay, you okay, all right, all right. Hair, stroking your hair. The thing I have to say about the dog, and we've only seen the first like act, um, the first twenty minutes, and it, what I'm I'm really excited for it. Like this podcast, sometimes is really silly, and sometimes we talk about some like hard things that are maybe a little bit emotional, but like not as much as how silly it is. Hard things like Taylor's. Okay, all right. Uh, But this this doc is going to show a side of what we've been up to that I don't think many people have had an opportunity to see, and uh, it's going to be a fucking tearjerker, yo. Yeah, people are going to be like crying and shit. Oh, real. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tear jerking, yo. People are going to be crying and uh, shit. Um, so it's it's coming out in November, and um, I think we're we're hoping it's going to get into some film festivals. We don't know yet, but uh, there's a longer version. So check out your your local film festival thing in the fall. I think that's usually when film festivals are. 
That's fucking exciting, man. Mm-hmm. Sick Boy, the movie. Super stoked because after seeing the first 15, 20 minutes, I was... I was kind of pissed, actually. I was like, dude, Andrew, can we just watch the whole fucking thing? Like, <laughs> yeah. God damn it, dude. Yeah. Andrew, who, the camera guy. Who starts a movie and then is like 20 minutes in when they're like just starting to get really into it. Like, okay, that's enough that's for now. That's all we can watch today. Right. Um, well, anything else? Anything else we're, we're excited about? Things uh, that are happening? Dude, the, the Vice article. That oh, yeah. Out. That was fun. Mm-hmm. We had a little Vice article, a little bit of recognition. This is just, we're just sitting here jerking each other off. Guys. <laughs> We no did, different than any other day. We did so good. We did so good over the last 100 episodes. We should just cut all this part and just cut straight to the episode. No, fuck that. Uh, if you want to be on the show, please hit us up. There's a there's a future guest form on our website. Uh, apply. If you're in Halifax, fucking apply. Do it. If and you're if, in Toronto, do it. If yeah. you're in Kazakhstan, do it. Yeah. Um, um, more so Toronto and Halifax, but Kazakhstan also. We are going to be uh, we are going to be in Toronto. In September, it's looking like uh, we're kind of planning the details around that, and then again in October. So, mm-hmm. um, all you Toronto fans out there, get your applications in so we can hit you up. And then um, Hawaii, we're going to be, we're gonna be in Hawaii in February. That's a lie. I might I be in Hawaii in November. That's a not a lie, but and Brian maybe. lied for some reason. I don't know why. Oh, uh, yeah. I was just trying to plant a seed. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, <laughs> I'm down to go. Uh, all right, well, let's start to this week's episode. Fuck, guys, episode 100. Episode 100. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is David McGinley. He died and now he's alive again. Let's talk about it. Uh, okay, so David, not Dave. Dave with David with the gravitas. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you made it. I feel like it's like sometimes we have to reschedule things because we're we're often double booking ourselves like there's so many things going on at one time this is success man yeah oh it's been great yeah it's been great and i feel bad that we had to we had to ask you to come back uh in for a second time but then somehow you ended up at our old recording studio check the addresses on the website is that what it was we gotta change it we have your home address address on the website on your website uh we change it before we we put this episode out and say that because I don't want the weirdos sending you to the mail. I feel like we shouldn't have any of our addresses on our website. I know, because we record from our own home. No, take a P.O. box. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea, actually. Well, David, I'm glad you found your way here. Great. Um, and why don't you just give a quick like rundown for the listeners at home who you are? So I'm uh, Dave McGinley. I am... Probably the only clergyman you're ever going to have on this show. <laughs> so I think I'm, you may be right. I'm really excited about that, by the way. Yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. yeah. I, when you emailed us to talk about coming on the show, I, I think, how did you put it? You were like, yeah, uh, I'd love to come on. By the way, I'm a clergyman, but I don't have... Uh, I don't have a whole lot of starch in my collar. That's right. And uh, <laughs> I, I, we, I laughed at that. I didn't even really know what that meant, but I was like... He gets us. <laughs> well, it's a dog collar. It's that white tab, yeah, right? Yeah, and yeah. Washer, I, I rarely wear that because I'm a chaplain, right? I work with cancer patients and palliative and intensive care. And if I walk in there wearing my clergy collar with the white tab, I'm going to freak everybody out. Nobody's oh, right. going to talk with me. 
So it's relaxed. Right. It's engaging. So that's what I do. Nine to five, Monday to Friday, I work with suffering and I try to connect people with hope and courage and endurance. And where do you do that work out of? At the Victoria General right here in Halifax. Okay. So uh, let me run this by you. I, I am, uh, I, I, if I was to like, say what my belief is right now. Like I, I don't, I don't have, I don't subscribe to any particular denomination. Like I, I, I would say I'm probably agnostic of anything. Right. Um, but I was, I was raised Roman Catholic and, um, I was pretty much like doing the Roman Catholic thing until I turned maybe like 12 or 13. And then I started to have some different views on the world. Um, but it's always, always, so I have, I have cystic fibrosis. I go right. to the CF clinic like yeah. once every six months. And when I do the check-in, um, there's a little thing, a kiosk, and you got to put in like punch in your, your health card number and kiosk, you gotta, kiosk. and <laughs> you got to, uh, you have to type in your, you know, like, are you here for respirology or whatever? And then it will say, is the following information correct? Your family doctor, your, you know, your, your mom's name, your dad's name, their address, your religious, your practice. religious background. And it always says, Roman Catholic. And mm-hmm. one day I was like, oh, that's not really correct. And I tried to change it, but it totally was just taking me to menus that I was like, oh, this is too much work. Forget it. I'll leave it. But then I was admitted to the hospital right? because I had a pretty severe pneumonia and I was living in the hospital for uh, just over two weeks. And while I was in there, uh, a gentleman came by my room and he was there to like pray, I, or I guess, or he was, I, I, I think he was there to pray with me. <laughs> Tell me what was going through your mind at this time. Well, in my mind, I was going, is this because I couldn't change my religion? Like, so, and if it said, if it said Jewish, would a, would a rabbi have appeared? That's right. If you put down, <laughs> if you identify a religious affiliation, then someone from that faith tradition will probably drop by and see how you're coping. That is super that interesting. Is super now, they're not going to necessarily pray with you. In fact, I mm. pray with less than half the patients that I see regularly. And is that right. because you because you know that that's not really what they're into, or just it's because there's a time when it's appropriate, and right, there's a right. time when it's it's not really needed. Okay, uh, you, a lot of people get hung up on oh gosh, the chaplain's coming in, the minister's coming in, right? And then they get nervous and they get guilty, like oh, I haven't been to church in a long time, right. or whatever. All that I was feeling that Roman Catholic, yeah, kicking in big time. <laughs> in you know what I, I yeah. kind of, you know what I just kind of had a little internal chuckle is that so we all teach yoga, and I and I own a yoga studio and, and I see a lot of people in the city and it's right downtown and I, and you know, we're living in Halifax. It's not a big place. And I see a lot of people that I, that, you know, I, I used to know from yoga that, but that don't really come anymore. And every time I see them, they're like, I, I'm going to get back to the studio. Yeah. I got to get back into it. And I imagine, do you ever, do you ever have those conversations where they're like, yeah, I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back to it. I'm going to be writing that confessional any day now. <laughs> so, so, but here's the thing. I'm a Lutheran. I'm not a Catholic. Okay. Right? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. Between, like, yeah. any so you're, of the you're not stopping in. You're you're nailing things on their door when you walk by the room. You're, you're like, yeah. I'm coming by tomorrow. So so you got your Lutheran, you, you got your Catholics, and you got your Protestants. Okay, right. We started the mess 500 years ago. Martin Luther, not yeah. Martin Luther King, not Martin Jr. Martin Luther had a few issues with the church, and he wasn't really tactful. So he wrote them all down, and he nails them to the door yeah. of the biggest church, and he starts this debate, and it all breaks apart, and he's like, oh, frig, I didn't want to break off from the church. I wanted to, wanted to fix it. Right, right, right. So snowball. Here we are 500 years later, Lutheran church, biggest Protestant church in the world, and 
but I'm not really there as a Lutheran either. I'm mm. an interfaith spiritual counselor. Mm. So whatever your faith or lack of, I'm there to help you connect with deep wisdom, deep inner strength, and explore the spiritual dimension, which includes psychosocial and emotional, of your disease. You're fighting for your life. And what is life? Life is fundamentally a mystery. We don't know what it is. We can't recreate it. We can't animate it. What is consciousness? It's, it's a modern word for the soul, and it's the biggest mystery to science. So illness comes along, jeopardizes your life. That's why it's a spiritual issue. But mm. you don't need to be religious. You don't mm. need to even believe in God. You need to be a conscious being. Because here's my premise. And hey, you're speaking of our language mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Th- this is where I like to come from. Your consciousness is the only real estate you share with the spiritual world. Because all of reality emanates from this realm of pure consciousness. Now, you can strip away all the religious labels you want. That realm is intrinsically life itself. Mm-hmm. And quantum physics, the latest in the breakthroughs of science point to this great mystery that the ancient wisdom traditions have always been exploring. Mm-hmm. But, but see, don't you, don't you find, cause I find it uh, hearing you say that I find it hard to believe that you identify with any religion because I find that religion kind of makes it kind of muddies the water when it comes to like pure understanding of consciousness. Yeah. So I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for what I'm about to say, but that's the nature of your show, right? I, yeah, yeah, we've totally. gotten into a lot of trouble with a lot of the things that we've <laughs> okay. chosen to say. So here I'm going to say it. There is no religion that will get you to heaven. Only love will Ooh. connect you to heaven. And what is love? Not an emotion. Love is the highest state of consciousness that you are evolving into. It is the realm from which all of this emerges. So you can have, you're going to practice love, and that is a frequency and a modulation and an attunement and an integration of your consciousness. And that connects you to the spiritual realm. Now, you can put that in a vehicle, Roman Catholic, Lutheran, Mm, uh, Hindu, Jewish, whatever. There are many ways to the top of the mountain. They're all the same thing. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, spirituality is intrinsically an individual experience, and religion is a corporate expression that is systematic and has a framework, mm-hmm. doctrine and beliefs. But everything is spiritual. Mm-hmm. You don't need to believe in God. I, In fact, when I'm checking on you, what I'm doing is, uh, and I'm letting the cat out of the bag, uh, I'm not interested in what you believe. I'm interested in the quality of your love. Because... Mm. You get a life-threatening diagnosis, and what's your main concern? It's not, am I going to live in the afterlife? It's, oh, I'm going to lose those I love. This is what I know. Mm -hmm. My heart is breaking this life. Mm -hmm. So I'm there to help you with the unfinished love stories of your life. So. Uh, here we go. That is cool. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go back and listen to this episode, be, but, but eat an edible first, and just be like, "Mind <laughs> blown." <laughs> I'm just kidding, David. I, I don't. Uh, I don't do that. Um, uh, but uh, I'm, I, I, I love that because I, I, I'm not kidding when I say that I had that. Like, I had a little bit twinge of that, like Roman Catholic guilt, come up when I basically turned this guy away. Um, uh, I didn't. I didn't have any interest in talking to him. But I've I've thought about that moment a few times since, and I I, sh- I really like looking back on it. I feel like ah, I should have just let him 
shoot the shit with me. See where it goes. See where it goes. But I think the reason why I did turn it away was because I got a little bit scared because I, I'm like, ah, I don't want to like, I don't want to pray. I don't want anyone coming here and praying for me. Like yeah. that feels for me personally, I feel weird about that, yeah. but really I could have just had a very sweet and like mind altering mm. conversation with that human. Right. right. Or it could have been awful. It yeah. could have been. Right. It could have yeah. gone either way. Well could have been. It might've been a really religious perspective that yeah. he was coming from. Mm-hmm. Right. right? Mm-hmm. But if he was a chaplain, then he is professionally trained and certified to know how to counsel a person who's sick in the hospital. Mm-hmm. This is beyond being ordained. You have to go through a rigorous training program with intensive uh, individual and group work in order to be a spiritual counselor in a hospital. What A uh, little bit of a sort of sidetrack question here that's straying away from sick boy, and I think into a bit of a different podcast, but what is the difference between a priest and a chaplain? Sure. Uh, a priest is an a word given predominantly in the Catholic tradition, but it is present in various religions. And it's a clergyman or um, um, the religious authority uh, given in that faith. But a chaplain is one specifically in the military or in the hospital who's trained and um, commissioned to only visit the people who are sick or serve that military community, right? So it's kind of like specialized. It's a specialized counselor. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So oh, what, what did, um, so cool. I love this. Did, uh, so I mean, we kind of mentioned right at the beginning that you've had your own, uh, you've, you've had your own struggle with, uh, with illness in the past with cancer. Um, it does, uh, we can kind of go towards that experience, but I'm curious to know, did that experience inform your, what you do now? Were you, were you, were you doing what you do now before that experience or no, did it lead into this at no, all? I've had a, a weird type of cancer four times and it started when I was 17. I'm 53 now. Wow. Wow. And it, it grows really slowly and it comes back again and again and it, it can kill you. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I was 17 and I get this disease. And um, What's the cancer? Well, it's, it's called uh, pheochromocytoma mm. and 90% of these are benign. Uh, but they're not dangerous because of um, being metastatic as much as what they're making. Imagine a time bomb inside of you, and it's making a Molotov cocktail of adrenaline and norepinephrine and dopamine and weird stuff. Sounds like a wicked action film. Yeah, and this is like hiding inside you. And your adrenal gland is the switch that turns on the fuse and makes it blow up. Mm. So anytime you get excited or fight-or-flight mechanism or even intense pleasure and joy releases adrenaline, can set the tumor off, it blows, you die. Whoa. Whoa. And it takes seconds. So Most, it's not that the tumor is whoa. cancer. It was, so it was, was it benign? So mine, are, it's difficult uh, to analyze the structure. But when you look at the behavior and that these recur, the fact that they recur and they keep growing back means they're malignant. Oh, okay. It's like the opposite of that movie. What's it, Crank? Or? Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah. That is was the, a wicked movie. It was a wicked movie. <laughs> You've got to stay incredibly calm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, is the reason you're alive today because you lived a very boring life? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like no excitement, uh, no joy, yeah. no pleasure. Yeah. Uh, looking back, I wish I got into a little more trouble. But, <laughs> but no, the, the reason I'm here is because A... I'm lucky. Mm. B, I had great surgeons. C, we knew how to detect the chemicals f- released from the tumor. And uh, 
And I also learned how to meditate so I could regulate my autonomic nervous system mm-hmm. and cool. not die. Yeah. The problem was I wasn't too bright. I kept getting myself into these situations that would trigger the tumor, like... Robbing banks. <laughs> uh, having <laughs> sex. <laughs> Actually, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, you know yeah. who else meditates to keep uh, the, the, all that badness at bay? Yeah. The Hulk. Yes, that is a perfect example. I'm yeah, actually about his height, but I don't have the <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I wish we oh, could yeah. see you. We haven't mentioned that. How tall are you? I am six foot eight. Wow. <laughs> I am the high priest. <laughs> <laughs> You're taller than me sitting down in this couch yeah, when no, I'm standing. No. Yeah. Uh, that's it. That is actually a perfect like example, though, Tay. Well, they get, man, in the, in the last couple Hulk movies, he, you know, he's in these like intense meditations yeah. and he like retreats from the world because he can't, like the stimulus of the world is going to set him off and create yeah, all this badness. It is kind of like a, it's a, like very Hulk-esque cancer or like a werewolf type sort of yeah. cancer, you know? But you remember in the last film he was asked, you know, uh, we don't want to get you angry. And he says... I'm always angry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's right. always aware of the shadow, but he keeps it under control. Mm. Yeah. So I had to meditate and learn how to breathe and in the moment, calm down. Anytime I got up to do a sermon in a church, public speaking is one of the greatest anxiety provoking things you can do. Yeah. Huge. I took my life into my hands every time I got into the pulpit, but I didn't know that. I, I was 17, the first tumor was in my bladder, so the metabolites were flushed out with my urine. It didn't make me go uh, hit, hit the floor. The second one was where we discovered, oh gosh, this is a pheochromocytoma because it was making me collapse. And uh, then the third and the fourth, I was getting a little bit better as I moved along with them. So it was 17, then 27, then 35, then 38. Wow. Theochromocytoma? Theochromocytoma. Theochromocytoma. So that's when they're growing on the adrenal glands. 90% of them do that. 10% grow off the adrenal glands. So they're most commonly known as theochromocytoma. If they're off the adrenals, they're called paranganglioma. It's just a word. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The problem is these are time bombs. So now I test every year. Speaking of, uh, and, and we'll probably cut this, but speaking of adrenal glands, if you've been listening to the show, we just recently did an episode called, uh, uh, it was about Addison's disease. Yeah, yeah. Did you listen to it? Yeah. Oh man. That, one of my favorite episodes, like mm-hmm. Fiona was so amazing and it was just the, the, the whole adrenal gland thing. Like, yeah, that's pretty dude, wild. The adrenal glands like that and this, like they are, they can wreak some havoc on you. Yeah. We really like went through, uh, went through a pretty heavy convo about that. Yeah. Um, so I, I've got to imagine um, kind of like what you're hitting us with here with like, you know, the mixture of theology and, and science and meditation. Are you a, are you a Deepak uh, fan? I'm a Deepak fan, but I like to go, uh, there's deeper stuff than Deepak. You yeah. Know? He's great. He's the, he's the guy that's out to the masses, like shout, shouting from the rooftops, he but is, there's, but I'm sure there's other resources. Have a look at people like Stuart Hameroff. Now he's an anesthetist, a professor of anesthesiology in Phoenix, Arizona, mm-hmm. and he looks at quantum consciousness. And that's Ooh, really cool stuff. That sounds neat. When we're talking about spirituality, this is the direction it's going. Uh, religion and and the clergy of the world, uh, the, all of them have been speaking of these mysteries, the the quantum realm and how this reality emerges from that dimension of mm. consciousness. But we're not. You go to seminary, seminary, you never hear of it. You, we got to be trained in that. We got to be trained in being spiritual counselors. We got to be strange, uh, trained in interfaith approaches. 
Have you read the Celestine Prophecy? Oh, that was long ago, man. Yeah, I just read it for the first time. Yeah, that that was a good introduction. Yeah, yeah, that that's it. Sounds like kind of all these things like balled into into one was like you know the really fun like kind of actiony version of uh, of what we're talking about. It's the Celestine yeah. Prophecy. Now, when you say long ago, are you saying like oh that's old news? That's that's behind like that's, it was, it was written, written in twenty years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, it was written in uh, I think it came out in ninety. Like with the year when I was born, I was right. born that year. Does it like stand the test of time though? Is that is is the information you kind of digest from there? Is that is that current now? It's uh, a good introduction, mm. uh, but a lot has happened since then to understand the nature of mind, had the non-local nature of mind, how uh, thoughts and feelings when they're aligned cause your energy field to ripple out from you massively, how these can affect the local environment. And as a group does it, it can affect a city and even global consciousness. Mm -hmm. There have been good studies on that because now we got the technology to measure the field of consciousness that's emanating out from your body. Did you know that you have light coming out of your hands and out of your forehead, photomultipliers and uh, quantum uh, magnetometers can measure your energy field. And this is part of uh, what I have. Well, I was going to say, you you just wrote a book, yeah. uh, Beyond Surviving, Cancer and Your Spiritual Journey. Uh, and this just came out. Yeah, this month. In June. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, tell us about that. Like, what's the, what, what's the book all about? So the book weaves my four rounds with cancer with patient stories of dealing with cancer and then sections that reflect upon what happened in the stories to explore grief and forgiveness and healing and dying and loving Mm. and uh, helping you connect to that spiritual homework of love and and, um, helping you move gracefully. Mm -hmm. Use the crisis. Don't waste the crisis. Use the crisis of cancer to deepen your life, amplify your love, and even connect to your immortal nature. So the book, the book is, you know, focusing on, on cancer and, and how to, I guess, uh, emotionally and spiritually manage that, that situation, which is a very tough one. Um, and obviously the target audience in saying that would be people who are dealing with cancer or people who, uh, know people who are directly affected by cancer. But one of the things that, you know, when we started this podcast, we were, we were starting, we were having these conversations with the people who are sick and it was like, yeah, it's like, this is what it's like to be sick. This is what it's, it's like, like a to podcast be for sick people. Yeah, exactly. But then it, it really quickly started turning into, well, it's, it's much more than that. It's about how can we just drop all the, all the bullshit and actually dive into talking openly and, and candidly about things that are hard to talk about, like illness per se. Um, would you say that this is, is goes beyond just cancer? Oh yeah. Yeah. Anyone who has, uh, I think anyone would benefit from reading that if they are exploring spirituality, if they're skeptical, this approaches it. I'm skeptical. Like I can't wait to read this because this is like, I feel like there's a lot that I could take from this, you know? And I'm trying to approach it from a non-religious perspective and language. Mm-hmm. Now, I do talk about Jesus in the in the book. Uh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian pastor, and I see him as the, the archetype or the the top form of embodied love. Mm-hmm. But it's wide open, mm-hmm. and um, it's I draw from Buddhist, I draw from Hindu, I draw from Jewish, I draw from Islam uh, in in that book. And uh, the key is 
to help a person use a crisis, whatever it could be, it doesn't need to be cancer, use the crisis to say, okay, what's my homework in love? How can I step up to my highest self and be vulnerable and strong at the same time? How can I use compassion as a force of transformation that ultimately will prepare me for when I die? I like to use that word uh, crisis, you know, instead of just keeping it to cancer, because that's that's the thing. It's like Taylor doesn't have cancer, but Taylor experiences crisis. You know, like Mm -hmm. like we all experience chaos in our life. Like we have those ups and downs. I think that's uh, I think that's really yeah, really important. I'm really interested to to know um, how you when you so you walk into a room with somebody who's who's facing crisis, and um, your goal is to explore uh, the way that they experience love in their life and and love during crisis to find out how they can best manage that. Would you say that's true? Yeah, because what they're looking for is to be strong. They want to be strong. Right. Uh, But the key is to discover that when we are deeply loved, we feel safe. And when we love deeply, we feel courage. This is better than strength, which Mm. can be a fragile mask. So I'm there to help them connect to those qualities of consciousness. And how do you how do you find that? I find it invigorating, exciting, challenging, and uh, sometimes it just goes south. It does it, not it, go well sometimes. I can it, imagine. Is, like, what's it like? Like facing? I mean, going into a room where somebody is is obviously experiencing something emotionally very difficult to to yeah. deal with. Um, how do you how do you draw that out of them? Because I just imagine it being so challenging to. I know personally, if I walked into a room and I was, um, if even if I understood that that was important, finding finding out how they experience and manage love and bringing that up in them and and building them up based on that. Um, what's your icebreaker? Yeah, yeah, what's <laughs> yeah. the joke you, you use to make that light? <laughs> so the funny thing is, it doesn't matter what I say. What matters is the quality of my presence. The quality of the presence that I have with myself will determine the quality Mm. of encounter I have with that stranger in the bed. Dude, totally. That's the key. So I I don't just saunter in. I pause. (laughs) I take a deep breath. I check in with how I'm feeling. And I be real with that. So maybe I'm anxious. Maybe I'm hungry. Maybe I want a coffee. Maybe I'm curious. Above all, I hope I'm compassionate. Mm -hmm. Then I walk in there and they're going to read and feel that and how I'm present, my body language, all the nonverbal cues. I'm going to sit down as soon as I can because I don't want to loom over the bed. I'm six feet eight, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. going to be scary. Like you could yeah. loom if you really wanted well, to. I could loom if I want. But, <laughs> uh, but Looming when you're not even trying, really. You, you sit down, you lean in, and you say it with heart. <clears throat> how are you doing? This is a scary place. I'm Dave. I'm, I'm the chaplain. I'm just here to see how... How, how are you coping? Are we treating you well? And we open it up. I might say, sorry about the food. I can't even bless the food we serve here. It's, it needs a little bit of help. Yeah. The food has improved. I'm just yeah. going to have a joke. Yeah. There's, my, there's yeah. my joke. That's, there you that's, go. A, yeah. that's, that's a good icebreaker. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, then, then we start to get into it. First, the polite passages, the introductions, the currency of introduction. And then I'm listening for cues. I'm watching body language. I'm looking for tone of voice micro expressions the, the the look in the eye how what are they doing with their hands 
I'm giving all my secrets away. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, and the reason why I asked that is, is because, um, I'm sitting here and I'm listening to you say this and, and I think into my, uh, I look into my, myself and I, I think I can, I can express love to, to like my, my girlfriend who I'm in a relationship with to my family, my loved ones, but I can express love to everyone that I meet. And, you're just talking about love in such a powerful way. Yeah, because you don't just want to express it. You want to be it. You want to incarnate it. Mm. And I want to know how to be it. <laughs> I want, and I, I want to know your secrets, not not because I want you to sit here and tell us how, how we should walk in and what we should say and what we should do. But I'm I'm just so mesmerized by this this idea because I, I, I feel it. Like I, 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 I totally get what you're saying. So it comes from primarily... Uh, faith. Now, I want to redefine that. I want to redefine that. Okay, good, because I'm not, yeah. I'm not a you, religious guy. Because you lost me. You lost me, you lost me with the word faith. Let's so, bring me back. Let's come back to the quality of presence you have with yourself. Who are you? Better still, what are you? You are not the flesh and blood. You are not mm-hmm. the face in the mirror. You are this unique individual manifestation of universal consciousness. The possible has become particular through you, and it is holy, sacred, divine ground. You are this beautiful, astonishing light, and you got no idea the nature of it. When you know that, when you are connected to it. It's that, like that feeling of, have you ever been like just stood? <clears throat> for me, when I feel that the most, it's it's almost almost guaranteed. It's those moments where I, where I'm in a place where I can really see like the Milky Way. Oh, perfect. When I can really like, like pick out, there's the Milky Way. Like there's no light pollution around here. It's, I can, the stars are so like uh, immensely intense. That's when I feel that feeling. So that's in the book. The quality is called the numinous. And there's a old Lutheran theologian called Rudolf Otto. His name is Rudolf. And he came up with this term numinous. And it means a sense of something so other than you, so vast, so huge, and it is strangely alluring and captivating and seductive, but it can also destroy you in a moment. Mm. You are nothing, and you want to be consumed by it, and you're terrified of it. Mm-hmm. This is that sense of looking out at the stars. And, you know, I do a lot of astrophotography, and this is why, because it's a spiritual experience, mm-hmm. your place in the universe. Now, this is a cool thing. Come, come to cosmology. Cosmologists are telling us that what we look out and see and what you see around you represents 0.4% of the universe. This is the visible spectrum of light. Mm. All of the matter in the universe makes up 4% Mm -hmm. of the universe. The rest is 23% dark matter. Only recently has it been uh, analyzed and they really don't know what what it is. And Mm -hmm. then 73 or three quarters of it is dark energy, which is voodoo witchcraft stuff. They don't know what it is. Yeah, it's just unknown. So there's a spiritual awakening to think that to base your reality upon 0.4% of the known universe. That's not a good idea. (laughs) You are so much more. You're this manifestation and you gaze out at the stars and you are the universe looking back at itself because you're made of the stuff of stars. Mm -hmm. Wow. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper. 
and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I love this conversation about the way that you, uh, the way that you kind of hold yourself and be, and knowing exactly, you know, who you are when you're entering in or what you're going through when you're entering into a conversation with people, because we're trying to encapsulate and, and kind of define in a way or give people a framework for how to start conversations about what it's like to live with something, uh, like cancer or any type of mental or physical illness. And then also for people who don't have that to be able to hold a conversation with someone who does and wants to talk about it. And, um, and you know, as you were saying that I was like, it was, it was launching me back to these segments of, of the Celestine prophecy. Sorry to like keep referencing a book that maybe people haven't read, but you know, the, the whole idea of like how you hold yourself and what is going through your mind and you know, what you, how you're feeling in your stomach and what you, it's all kind of coming out from you and the people that are around you are picking up on that energy and it gives them a certain vibe and it makes them feel comfortable. Or it makes them feel anxious and going into conversations and, and right before you enter them to check in with exactly how you are and who you are. Yeah. And going into that with like the biggest tr- or with the with the most dialed in truth. And you're going to use your body as the instrument, the barometer right. of the quality of your presence. And then you're walking in and I'm not treating them as a Joe Blow who's sick. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm I'm looking upon them and I'm seeing a, another unique manifestation of the divine consciousness emerging from this amazing universe. Uh but do you I, just did you just walk through the world seeing people like this like daily? Is that to me hearing that I'm going, why why the hell don't we all just like how come every human on the planet doesn't see every other human like this? It just sounds so poetic and and like powerful and. But it's only possible after a good coffee. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Imagine how beautiful the world would yeah. be. I know, I know. But I don't see them that way all the time. Right. And I stumble along too. And what I was going to say, I'm glad you said that because earlier you 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 kind of alluded to, you said, uh, yeah, sometimes it doesn't go so well. Yeah. What, what are those moments like? like oh, what? the wall goes up, right? Mm. Because the patient leads. I'm not going to go any further than they want. Well, I'm going to go a little further than they want to go. But I'm going to respect where they're at. Mm-hmm. So if they don't want to talk to me, then that's not a good time. Maybe another time is good. Maybe another person is good, right? I'm not attached to the outcome of the conversation. Mm. I just want to be there with what is. And if, if we can only go so far, all right. And some days I'm tripping over myself and I don't know, I don't know what to say. And right. I'm just having an off day. Mm. So that's a time to go get that coffee, change the gears, reconnect, try again. How is it? Um, so we've we've talked uh, at length with people who are um, dealing with terminal cancer. We've talked with people who have lost people to things like cancer and other diseases. Um, we we've talked to a lot of people who who meditate on the idea of their own death, but we haven't done. We haven't had, uh, I think, really any conversations with anyone who works directly in the world of palliative care. Yeah. Um, and I can only imagine that that kind of work takes a an emotional 
or mental toll on the people who who put themselves in that position, like yourself. Being with the dying is the most profound privilege there is. You are with someone on the edge of immortality, the edge of transformation into oblivion or wonder. They'll find out. Mm. And you're with family members and loved ones whose hearts are broken and they're grieving, and you want to hold that space tenderly and work with the wisdom of that emotion Mm. and help them be real not be strong even though the patient's instinct is to protect their family members from the very emotions of grief and loss that amplify love and the family members don't want to speak of grief even though they know the patient is dying and they Mm -hmm. they worry their words will accelerate the process Mm. and then when you're in there with it i've been with hundreds and hundreds of people as they've died and it's astounding Especially if it's not the removal of life support in intensive care, uh, but a more calm death in a hospital room. That final breath is unmistakably different than every other breath. Mm. And the energy that sometimes fills a room. I was with a woman, the the family the other day, and uh, uh, the woman's brother was dying. And she lay on the bed and she held him as he died. And when he gave up his final breath, she could feel this energy flow through her. And that, that was a rare and beautiful thing to experience, profoundly comforting, because most of the time it's just sad. Yeah. Right? And you don't want to fix that because that's accurate, that's appropriate, that honors the relationship. But while it's a privilege, it also wears you down. Mm-hmm. I got to take time afterwards. There are some cases, and I don't shrink back from that in the book. We talk about being with the dying. Sometimes I just got to go back to my office and cry. Mm-hmm. And get some fresh air, and then go on to the next patient. Do you, do you find do you find that uh, obviously having those those hard times and or the challenge of going through an experience like that, and the things that and the times where you need to kind of take some time to yourself and go and kind of be with whatever emotion comes from that? Um, do you find that more often than not, it is this like you said, this privilege, or I'm sure it's always this privilege, but more often than not, this experience that brings a lightness that brings a, a you know, I, I'm not sure if joy is the right word. Uh, and I'm, I'm saying this from, cause I've never been with somebody when they've died, but through this project, we've been able to talk with a handful of people that, that know they're going to die. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, talking about death and their death in particular, you know, I, I've, we've had people say, well, it's like, do you ever just leave there and you just, your heart's just sunken down? We're like, no, my God, we leave these conversations and we're so like, we feel so light. And so right. it's amazing. It's amazing. And light. And I can't, and I, and I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hard to put yeah. words to it because you just feel this. I got a theory about that. Yeah. We spend an awful lot of energy avoiding ourselves mm-hmm. through Ooh. the course of a day. Very rarely are we fully present. And these situations, these experiences wake us up and plug us in and ground us deep in this moment. And because then we're not spending energy resisting any aspect of our own experience because it's hard. Mm -hmm. We're open to it. Then we feel light. It's, it's like, like meditation. Like that's what me- makes meditation hard. That's it. To sit and, and be with yourself. 
and face yourself. And when you can get beyond that and you actually have like a really solid float or you have a really like, like incredible asana practice where you are dialed in and you're just like with your breath or you have a, you have a seated meditation for 15 minutes and you actually just have a moment to just be present afterwards. You are, yeah, you know, you're lighter, you're lit up. Mm. Yeah. It takes energy to resist aspects of your own consciousness. Mm. But when you're breathing into it and holding the whole mess without needing to fix it, you're breathing deep. Mm. Mm -hmm. This is why for many people who are dying, their grief process is profoundly different than the loved ones. Right. Yeah. The dying person goes through preparatory grief. The loved ones go through anticipatory grief. The loved ones prepare to say goodbye to one person. That person prepares to say goodbye to everything. Yet, often they feel they are further down the road of grief and they have an unexpected equanimity about it Mm. that they dare not speak of for fear that it would sound like it's betraying the love. Mm. You don't say, oh, I'm okay to go. Don't worry about me. You don't do that. <laughs> he does. Too yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and I do. And, but that's the, and, and, but I do that without the fear of sounding, of sounding like I've lost the love because it, I, I'm saying that to, I'm saying that to make it easier. I'm saying that to like, to make that process more loving for everybody. And and you're saying it because you're able to right now. Right now. But when death is close. It's probably a very different story. It's really hard. Yeah. I've been close to death many times. As I, the tumor kicks in, I have like three, four seconds of warning. I feel it in my body. I blank out. I hit the floor. I'm out before I hit the floor, which is great because I got a long way to fall. And that's a concussion. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) Right? And uh, it's a horrid feeling. Um, so I had to live with death so close. It could happen at any moment and I would brush it off and I'd say, Hey, I'm okay. You know, if I die, you know, I, I know where I'm going and all that stuff. Uh, but when I would get down to the heart of it, when it was really close, I would, it wasn't scared. It was overwhelmed. It was, Mm. it was so big and so final. And then one time I did. I died and I had this amazing mystical experience. Tell me about that. A near-death experience is experienced by a a surprising number of people these days. And being a hospital chaplain, I hear these stories every month. I hear about someone who had a look at the other side and came back. Now, it happened to me the second time I had uh, cancer, the second tumor. And um, I was in a hospital doing a service, a church service in the chapel. And I got up there to do the, the sermon and kicked in the tumor and down I went. And I found myself in this other realm. I was walking on a grassy hill and there was a tree at the top of the hill. And I felt indescribably whole and happy and Bouncing with vitality and awareness and love, love like you never conceived. It was, uh, it was incredible. I could feel all of the blades of grass. The light was coming from everywhere. And I was just home. And uh, it was amazing. 
And I wasn't alone. I mean, in many near-death experience accounts, that you are greeted by deceased loved ones, and there are other entities that you run into, other forms of consciousness. Mm. I had one, I, and he was walking by my side, and it was like I dropped into this conversation. And he basically said, things are going well, but you can't stay. You have to go back. There's more things to do. And I didn't want to come back. I was in a state of consciousness that, why would I come back to this? Mm. This is two-dimensional. This is hard. This is the gross anatomy, the material form, the sluggishness of thoughts, the poverty of words. The This is not the whole thing. And I felt like I had touched my toe in another dimension of consciousness. And then I woke up back here. Were you like ripped out? No, I was just, he was just, he said, look, we'll see you later. And he, I felt a connection that he made, like he's touching my shoulder or something. We'll see you later. And boom, I woke up on the floor in the, in the hospital and I could hear the sounds of people around me and I knew immediately what happened and I just grieved. It, it was awful to come back. Wow. Have you ever uh, watched the show, the HBO series, The Leftovers? No. <sighs> it's, one, it's, it's one of the most underrated television shows I've ever watched in my life. I've heard this a not, lot. Not many people uh, that I've spoken to have ever watched it. <laughs> but basically, it's, uh, it, it, it dives into faith big time. And so that's like a major theme. Religion's a major theme. And, uh, there's a, there is a scene without giving away too much. There's a scene where someone, uh, dies and they cross over into, uh, a very similar realm. Mm -hmm. And, and when they come back, it's that same kind of thing of like, ah, yeah, I, I, I want to go back. Like, I don't want to. I was hearing about these so often yeah. at the hospital that I joined an organization called the <laughs> International Association for Near-Death Studies. And they do research. What? Yeah. That's a amazing. And I went down to the conference in Washington. 300 people were there who have died and seen the other side and come back. Wow. Now, this is common across all religions, all periods of history, all culture, language, faith, tradition, age, sex, uh, education, everything. Because think of it, if indeed uh, consciousness as we experience is a manifestation from a dimension of pure Ooh. consciousness and awareness, then this is a universal human phenomenon and Ooh. there's no copyright on it, Ooh. right? In fact, uh, there's some good evidence that all the major religious faiths emerged from these kind of stories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People who've had a touch on the mystic realm. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, uh, you, you hear these stories and you go, really? And a person experiences it and they go, did it really happen? Mm -hmm. It Maybe it was a dream or mm -hmm. maybe I was hallucinating. I go through all the arguments in the book about this. Uh, it's well researched. Do you touch on the 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 whole uh, theory of the the like the small release of mm -hmm. DMT yeah. dimethyl? Yeah, or maybe trip, it's trip, uh, trip, 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 or whatever that is. Yeah, it, it, is it hormones? Is it 
uh, chemicals? Is it uh, neurotransmitters? Is it hypoxia? Is it EEG surge, electrical activity mm-hmm. in the brain? Because when you die, there's this burst of electro- electrical activity that about 80% matches about 80% of normal cognitive functioning. Mm. Certainly, and it's long enough for an elaborate experience. It can go up to three minutes. Mm. Uh, however, there are many cases of people who've been dead far longer than three minutes, and they're reporting things they should not be able to. Mm-hmm. And they come back, heal at an accelerated rate, and are fundamentally and physiologically changed. Mm-hmm. So I, is that I, your... I, I, well, uh, can I tell a quick story? Sure. I, bef- before you dive into the story, yeah. I, 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 I don't know, you know, like I'm basing everything that I've ever heard of this off of what I've read and what I've watched and whatever, and... And, uh, the, you know, that thought of like, oh, well, it's a release of the, like the chemical DMT in the, in, you know, stored in the brain somewhere that is a natural process. We all have that in us and it, it is a release, but then hearing the people who are like, well, I went to a shaman and sat down and we had like a, an experience where we did DMT and he guided me through this meditation and they have, you know, they're, they're recalling the exact same experience. Like, oh man, I just like. I, I feel well, like when I hear that, I feel, I feel like it could be that, but well, so that, I don't know. Like that, that's why I'm so agnostic. Cause I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So uh, I'm so agnostic. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm so agnostic. I'm sitting here like, I just, I want to, I want to believe everything that I hear because I, I personally am a, a, I, I identify as being a, a pretty spiritual person. So when I hear a story like this, uh, I'm like, of course, like, yes, like that has to be, that has to be a hundred percent true. But <coughs> there's just something about me within me that, that finds it really hard to like believe those stories because you, you really truly can't believe them unless you experience them. So in saying that, um, I have my own story. That's not a near death experience, but it's something similar. Um, that I know I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell you guys right now, but I, I know there's going to kind of be that air of like, did it, did it really happen? Is it really true that way? Um, was this the Canada day like five years ago no, when you went to jail story. or uh, <laughs> we're in the emergency room? No, not jail hospital. That's right. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. The hospital. Story. Um, so I was in India and I did uh, my yoga teacher training and there's a couple stories that are very similar to this, but in this uh, one occasion we did, we did half an hour of meditation every evening and, uh, we were separated into two different groups. We would go and we'd sit quietly. It wasn't it wasn't called meditation, but effectively that's what we were we were working towards. Um, but it was just sitting cross legged quietly in the dark for thirty minutes um, and just exploring where your where your where your mind went. So after doing this for about a week, um, I was sitting there and I kind of like focused my my gaze beneath my eyelids on the towards the center of my forehead and I was kind of watching this this color pattern kind of form and and almost like oscillate a bit and and it was almost as if I fell into a really vivid dream and uh I saw this this girl that was at the training um oh yeah standing in this room and I could tell it was the like the basement of uh of a house and in the picture window that was behind her, you could see a, a body of water and uh, there was a pool table and it was so vivid. And I saw her there standing there and she was playing pool 
And I had no like romantic attraction to this girl, but um, I felt like I had a really, um, a really strong connection with her. And as soon as I saw her and realized I was looking at her, it just kind of went away. It disappeared. Um, but it stuck with me. And, and after the, the 30 minutes passed, I uh, went down to the, the other place where she was and I said, do you, do you play pool? And she looked at me kind of confused and she was like, yeah, I have a, I have a pool table at my cottage. And I was like, is your cottage on a lake? And she was like, yeah, why are you asking me this? And I said to her, I was like, I think it was just there. And she was kind of confused and kind of found it hard to believe. But I told the same story to my, uh, my yoga teacher the next day. And he said, and I said, I said, like, was that real? Did I, did I really see that? Or is that just kind of like, was I dreaming or what, what was happening? And his explanation to me is he said, Brian, consciousness is like the internet and each one of us uh, are a web page. And when you're able to take yourself outside of your web page, you're able to see the entire internet. And this, I think, is the future of spirituality because the scientific method and the instruments to measure consciousness have progressed to the point where what we have is an evolving, integrated theory of reality that includes consciousness as a fundamental component, mm. and we're all wired into each other. The United States government spent a lot of money researching psychic phenomenon and all of this weird stuff. Then Congress wanted to cut it. So they got three of the most critical uh, academic reviewers to have a look at the literature and all of the studies. Guess what they said when they came back to Congress? The, the head of that review committee, <coughs> her name is Jeff, Jessica Utes. U-T-T-S. She comes back and she says, look, you've got to stop wasting money on um, trying to prove if this stuff is real and start spending the money on how to put it to a practical application. The Institute of Noetic Sciences, as the leading in the institute in the world that studies consciousness, non-local mind, how we're wired into each other, and stuff that most people have disregarded as, oh, it's that weird psychic crap, mm -hmm. right? No, this is uh, a mental and uh, spiritual acuity, a tuning in to the matrix, if you might say. Ooh, yeah. Right. yeah. And uh, it's, it's so well accepted amongst the, the general population, but it doesn't lend itself to the scientific method. So it tends to be dismissed. hundred years ago, quantum physics, quantum physics was, was brought in, into uh, popular understanding and um the new york times had a headline this 100 years ago it said newtonian reality overthrown new model of the universe new model of reality well we're still operating on the old model mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of crazy uh but these experiences like you just had you saw the essence of that person's soul that you connected to their experience this is tuned in on the intuitive level how do you how do you achieve that not through analytical, cognitive uh, understanding, but through the quality of presence you have with yourself. Uh. Be deeply present. Then you're opening up to this vast network. Mm -hmm. So let's come back to my work for a bit. I walk in, there's a person with cancer. What am I there to do? 
They think I'm a chaplain to do the religious thing. Talk about faith in God, I can. Pray with them, sure. But beneath that, they're fighting for more moments of life, but avoiding the moment they're in Mm -hmm. because it's hard. If I can help them connect deeply to their moment, they will discover that kind of experience an awareness that they do not stop at their skin, that they are more than flesh and blood, that love holds them every moment. And you don't use this to generate a cure, right? Maybe I can tune my consciousness. If only I had enough faith, like there's a dosage, right? And then I'll yeah. fix myself. Mm-hmm. That's not what it's about. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, and uh, going back to what you said, Brian, earlier about like, you know, it's hard to believe. Uh, and I'm like, I'm not quite. I'm just not quite sure that you that you even necessarily um, um, have to believe I don't in, think you in, do. in the in yeah. the in the way that in the way that if you go and have a near death experience and you have this you know you know we, we it, it's from what I've heard all the all, all about near death experiences you know there's some type of uh, mystical connection there's bright light, light there's all these kind of things that you hear. Uh, uh, that kind of thread their way through a lot of people's experiences with near death. And, you know, even if, even if let's just say for the sake of this argument, that that is a chemical thing or whatever, but it happens and you get sent there into this place and you have this experience that complete, it almost, it like brings the understanding of life to a head and everything is experienced. Like you said, this wholeness that you feel Uh, and the emotion of love is like, maxed out and all of these feelings are just to the, to the point, to the, to the head of, of, of what they could possibly be. Like you're experiencing everything that life is supposed to give you in that moment. Even if that does fade away, let's say and it three does. minutes, it does. And it does whether you get pulled, whether you're getting pulled back into life or whether you drift off into death and whatever that experience is, is that experience not completing life? Isn't does is that not almost like a completion of life experience? If you were if if death, permanent death were to follow this like near death this yeah, near dude, death kind like, of thing, like wouldn't it's like that be the fireworks? The, like fireworks when they have a, a grand finale at the end, you're like, Oh, oh. the this, this the fireworks are gonna be over soon because they're now can, firing off right. that really thousand every off. second. Yeah. And yeah. the fireworks up until now were cool, but this is the best. <laughs> These are the best ones. I, I hear what you're saying. Like you're, you're, and coming back to like the, you, you know, we don't have to believe it because it's, 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 are you, are you saying like, we don't have to believe it because it's there and it's inevitable that it's going to happen. Well, I mean, it seems like, and what you're saying is like the research it's kind of like the research is in, like the conclusion has been, ha, we've come to, a con- to some type of share. conclusion. Yeah. That, that, that this is that this is happening amongst this you know wide range of people who have come near death and they're all kind of reporting back this this similar mystical experience um and like what do we do we necessarily have to believe uh that they talk to god or that they not necessarily, but as human beings, we, we inherently want, want to put meaning and find the meaning behind everything. Right. right. Like we want what, that touch. We want is, that what seeing What is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What, right. you know, so, h- how does that work? So is this a universal phenomenon because of our shared biology? That's an understandable mm-hmm. explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
it falls apart when you've got situations in which people have them, but they haven't gone through a medical crisis. They could have it spontaneously. They could have right. it during meditation. So that eliminates perhaps chemicals or drugs or hallucination that, that uh, is a result of narcotics and morphine and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it because of the fireworks in the brain that go off? Well, if so, then it should not continue after the brain has been totally flatlined. Right. Tell you about an interesting case. Pam Reynolds was 36 years old. She had an aneurysm in the stem, brain stem. The only way to operate on it was to kill her on the operating table, flatline her heart and her brain waves, drain the blood from her head, and graft a vein from her leg deep into the brain, then warm her body up, put the blood back in, and restart her. Wow. Whoa. That so sounds she's so hard. <laughs> That's what happened. And the moment... Now, she was on full instrumentation in the intent, in the operating room. They saw no brain waves. They saw no heartbeat. The blood was drained from her brain. She had earplugs in with 100 decibel clicks. That was to measure any brain activity that could possibly be there. There was none. Then they drilled into her head, and she felt this pop, and she was out watching it from above. And she was able to describe the procedures that they did and the conversations that they had. Oh, holy shit. And then she felt drawn to that light. I didn't see that light. I was just there on the grassy hill. She was drawn into this light and she found herself in this other realm, greeted by loved ones who Mm. had died before. Among them, an uncle who was very close. She had a conversation about her life and, of course, was told, you have to go back. And she said, you know... I I don't want to go back. And they said, you got to go back to help the kids. You got three kids. They got to grow in love. You got more to do. Always the homework is about love as a state of consciousness we're growing into. Mm. Because that other dimension is one of, you. there's no self-deception. It's a realm of pure, naked consciousness. And the foundation of that is love. So she said, look, the kids are going to be fine. <laughs> I don't want to go back. Her uncle brought her back to the operating room. She was watching the procedure from above. She didn't want to get back in the body. And uh, he shoved her. That's how she as, describes it. As uncles do. As <laughs> uncles do. She <laughs> yeah. shoved her and she's back in the body. When she recovered, she told her surgeon about all of it, everything that she saw. And that was what's called a veridical experience. She reported information that could not be uh it was impossible for her to know that otherwise. She must have seen it. There's no way for her to have known all those details. Mm. She described the surgical instruments, the conversation, everything. There are several cases like that that blow the door off any idea that this is just uh, electrical activity in the brain or you know, th- that occur long after brain Ooh. death has occurred. Ooh. Drownings are a good case. It's astounding. So... There are tons of movies out about these. It's a popular topic in our culture. And there's an amazing number of people walking around that you probably know who've had one, but they don't speak of it because they worry that they're going to be interpreted as crazy mm. or as mm. hallucination or it's such a sacred experience. They don't want to just share it. Now, I had mentioned uh, you, you tend to, you were saying, may, maybe you forget these things, right? Uh, you bury these things. That's really what you do. Mm. You, you bury them deep. And that's what I did. It can take 10 years 
for an adult to come to terms and integrate the experience? Because you've moved from one state of consciousness to one radically different and then back. Talk about uh, existential dissonance. Mm-hmm. Right? What do you do with that? It's living deep inside of you and it slowly emerges. Children, though, tend to report quickly Ooh. and manifest quickly uh, changes in their life and consciousness. Mm. And is that because the, the children are just in... You know, more of a, a a period of transformation in their life that they they, they, haven't been sh- they haven't been shook up by life enough to be like mm. to realize how crazy it is. They're just like, well, it was a cool thing that happened. Yeah, they yeah. talk about it, or yeah. the imaginary friend, or whatever. Uh, but even as I share this with you, even though I've seen it and had my own limited experience, I know how it sounds. Yeah, right. I know it sounds just too good to be true, or it's it's very sweet and quaint, or it's too fanciful right it's i mean to be honest when you when you tell me the story about this this lady on the operating room table i'm like well yeah that sounds like a great story but i don't know her i don't know the story i don't know where the story is coming from even though i trust you and i and i think that i i really value everything that you've shared during this experience this experience of being here today but i i want to believe so bad and I'm still skeptical, even though I'm trying to be open about, open and accepting about that. Let's try it right now, Brian. So kill me right now. Yeah, I'll just put you in a headlock. <laughs> hey, you time it. Okay. We'll do a headlock for, I don't know, like 10 minutes. Like, that should be good. And then David probably knows CPR. Like, if you're working in the hospital, you got to know CPR. Dude, let's do it. <laughs> It'll be, it so be so much social media. <laughs> Wasn't there a movie about that? They, they, they killed themselves and they had a brain scan. Anyway. But, and I, and yeah, I, think, I think, think it just goes, yeah, it goes back that? to, like, my and yeah. even my experience like knowing how real that was for me, I, I, I almost never expect anybody else to fully buy into that yeah. and I don't need them to. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and the thing that I find, and I'm going back to something you said earlier, but the thing that's been most powerful to me is that when you talk about love and you, and you say someone who's able to, to fully experience love and, and, and give love, um, they're, they're able to be courageous and it makes uh, the other people around them strong. And it just goes to show how powerful the experience of, of loving and being loved is. Yeah, love connects consciousness. And that's a bond that even death can't break. I think your doubt is fantastic. Do not buy it hook, line, and sinker. Wrestle with it. Do the reading. Do the research. Because... Uh, what I experienced is not something I can convince anybody of. It's my experience. And when you have one, uh, that will be yours. Mm. You will express it with the same hesitation that I've done for many years and uh, wonder if it was real and try to integrate it. And then ultimately, like too many of my patients, we will die. And then we'll find out. Mm-hmm. So what I like to conclude always when talking about these sort of things is, you know what, don't worry about what you believe. You focus on your love and you're going to be doing the wisest, most spiritual, most noble thing you could possibly do. The rest will take care of itself. The rest is too big and doesn't depend upon even something as limited, and this is controversial, as limited as our moral and our ethics. St. August, St. Augustine. Uh, said, love God and then do as you please. I like that. 
Right. You, you love, that's going to be the best thing possible. Mm. Are you, a, are you a fan of, uh, like, uh, Sufism, Sufi, uh, Sufism. Yeah, very cool. Because I mean, I know the the whole thing is love. Do you do you read? Do you ever read um, Rumi? Yes. Uh, Rumi said, "We are all walking each other home." Mm. Mm. Love it. Yeah, Rumi's love pretty it. pretty I, great. I'm I'm okay with and with when it comes to religion. Um, I always find that I I f- I feel like a lot of religious passages. Um, when you take them out on an individual basis, I, I find like I can really identify with them as long as I replace the, not necessarily the word God, but the idea of God with what is true to me. Yeah. And I find a lot of people have trouble with God because the present model as presented to them is not sufficient for their experience. Mm-hmm. And there may be things that they've been offended by, injuries caused by the church or organized religion. So, okay, let's reject that model of God. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be sufficient for you. Let's not even use the word God because that word is loaded. What are we going to use? Consciousness. Consciousness. Love that word. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the underlying nature of consciousness? Well, it is absolute integration, awareness, uh, integration, uh, the a highest state of order that actually can reverse entropy. Uh, it's fantastic. Mm. And if you don't want to go at it through a religious model, let's go at it through a model of quantum physics mm-hmm. and uh, integrative consciousness. And um, that's very cool stuff. Mm. I've loved this whole conversation and, and that, that what you just said was, you know, bringing that, what I've kind of been thinking, like, ruminating on for the last few minutes to a head is that I don't think that there's enough. Um, I feel like there's too many people in the world trying to keep spirituality and science apart from each other and not enough uh, people trying to reconcile the two together. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is a total <laughs> space nerd and uh, loves learning about the universe and the science and the physics that rule it, as well as experience, you know, wading into um, uh, the practice of yoga and spirituality and meditation and trying to connect the, those two worlds together um, and kind of make sense of it because I do, I do love science for its, for its kind of cold, hard nature. Uh, and then I do love spirituality because it has this ethereal, uh, you know, m- mystery about it. That is that it, it doesn't really come, it doesn't come down to numbers and, but they're uh, not figures. mutually exclusive. Yeah. Or they, at least they don't have to be. Mm-hmm. No. And in fact, in our day, the issue, the problem is not between science and spirituality. It's, th- it's between scientism or material reductionism mm. and spirituality and material reductionism is a, uh, it's a dominant voice, but most of the doctors and scientists that I've known are wide open to wonder and possibility. Mm-hmm. And they don't believe that this is all that there is, but they don't have language or framework to express what all of it there mm. is. And Neil deGrasse Tyson talks about that a lot when he when he references dark energy or dark matter, or as he calls it, Fred, because it could be called garbage or Fred or yeah. or yeah. or black <laughs> for 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 whatever, because we don't really know what it is. But that you know we're we're always kind of looking to to find out not necessarily what the answer is to something, but find out what the next question is. What's the next question that we're going to ask? And Neil deGrasse Tyson said this really cool thing that he, um, they said, what does he want? Somebody said, what, what would you, 
want to be known for in your career and your, in your life's work? And he said, I want to be known for asking a question that changes the way we think fundamentally. And that, and I want that question to be something that we haven't even thought of asking yet because the information that we have at our fingertips now doesn't even point to asking that, but what, but the scientific work that we're doing now, hope that leads to me asking a question that kind of catapults us into this new realm of, of work and understanding. And maybe that is somewhere between the, um, you know, if you want, if anyone's seen interstellar, when he has this experience at the end, that is, that seemed to really kind of take our like consciousness and our, and our, go into that fifth dimension, um, where we're all connected and, you know, you can scroll through time like a library, um, and have this connection between science and, and spirituality. You know what I would love for some like sick boys, super fan to go through the last 100 episodes and do a tally of how many times a Christopher Nolan movie has been referenced <laughs> on this podcast, because I guarantee you the number would be astronomical. I watched Inception yesterday. Yeah. Oh. I walked into your house and you're watching that. And I was like, man, we talk about this all the time. Oh, yeah. I almost referenced it today. And I was like, ah, let it go. Yeah. So it's I want to reference uh, the same thing, but from a book written in 1866. Yeah. Edwin Abbott was a teacher and he wrote this book called Flatland. And it was about, Squares and circles that are two-dimensional, draw them on a paper. And this one circular or square, one of the characters, encounters a three-dimensional entity. But there's no way he can understand that entity from the set of language and knowledge and framework of the two-dimensional world. It's Mm -hmm. only when he's taken to the three-dimensional reality that he can conceive of what that is. Mm -hmm. So when the sphere from the three-dimensional world, reveals itself to him, it does so by moving through his two-dimensional world. And what does he see? He just sees a circle getting bigger and then smaller. He doesn't understand that's a sphere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's think of the realm of pure consciousness in the same way. When it manifests to us, we would experience it according to the framework and the limitations of our knowledge, our, our cognitive structure, and our language. Uh, but only when we're transported to that dimension of being can we know what it is. Yeah. So this ties into the holographic principle that this universe is a hologram, a projection from a higher uh, dimensional reality, which the math seems to indicate is an eight-dimensional reality. So there's a fantastic video, only 30 minutes long, fantastic video on YouTube called What is Reality? And you'll see... Uh, a lovely illustration of how this makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't do the math, but I've touched on something existentially that was so much more real than this reality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think it's all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I sit with my, my cancer patients and I work with their suffering and their love and their grief and their hope and their strength and... I know it's going to be okay whether they live or they die. Love has got them. Mm -hmm. And it's such an honor and a privilege to help them with that. We don't go through any of the topics that we've been discussing here today. I don't talk about this stuff with patients. Mm. It's going on under the surface. Mm -hmm. What do we talk about? Now we talk about life. We talk about, I worry about my wife, worry about my kids. I want to see the graduation. 
I help them cry. I help them come back to themselves and just be there without a mask. When you're real, when there's no need to hide, there is a beauty that you you come back to. It's it's built into us. It's in our core. And I'm afraid that the crisis of cancer cranks up the homework on that. Mm-hmm. A chaplain walks in there not to save your soul, not to get religion into you or you into the pew, but just to help you be real and reconnect to love. David, uh, thank you thank you for this like this is uh this is one of those conversations that will ring true and deep for a lot of people i think and uh yeah i'm so so glad that you uh so bravely stepped into our recording studio knowing that uh <laughs> some of the episodes you've listened to in the past uh hey I, you didn't drop the f bomb once i know i don't think it did slip at once it's really jeremy it's really jeremy's the only one who has a tough it time is, yeah with that yeah yeah fuck yeah guys good job <laughs> i can't even <laughs> damn they can't fucking believe it <laughs> i'm crossing myself oh, <laughs> God bless you. Oh, oh, oh david are you throwing uh, holy water on us right now oh, oh. <laughs> David, uh, where can people where can people find your book? Uh, you can buy it at any bookstore. They they can order it. Uh, you can pick it up off Amazon. Sweet, yeah. And that is uh, Beyond Surviving, uh, written by David McGinley. And uh, again, I'm I'm so grateful that you took the time to come in and, and chat with us tonight. Fifteen percent of the net proceeds from the book will go to support cancer patients through the QE2 Foundation. Mm-hmm. So. Awesome. Um, Really proud to partner with them, and and this is a beautiful way. I wrote, I wrote the book as part of therapy for me, but also the tide of cancer is, it's it's a flood. When I started twenty years ago, it was one in four. The new statistics have just come out: one in two of us will get cancer, which means we're all going to be supporting or facing it. Mm-hmm. The book was a way to reach more people. Um, so. If you're out there and you're facing cancer, you focus on the love and try to communicate clearly and uh, get support when you need it. And we're here for you. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank yeah. You thank in. you. Uh, and thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I uh, will be back next week with a, another episode. It's going to be tough to follow up this one. I'm telling you. <laughs> uh, but we will be back next week. And uh, until then, head on over to... Um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're all over the social media and, uh, you can find a lot of extra, uh, interesting content there from a lot of our guests. Um, and Oh, while you're at it, go to iTunes, uh, subscribe for sure rate and review, because that just gives us a higher chance of being seen by other people across the world. Uh, kind of keeps us on the, the billboard charts for podcasts, which is the iTunes charts there. So head Apple on over there. Podcasts. Yeah, Apple Yeah, that's right. They've changed their branding. It's Apple Podcasts now. Uh, and if you want to give us some support, head on over to patreon.com slash sickboy. Uh, there's lots of exclusive content. All of our live shows that we do, which are a lot of fun, come out on uh, on our Patreon page. And you get a nice little perk if you're on Patreon. What's that? You there, get Brian? 10% off from our uh, mm, shop on sickboypodcast.com. Merch. 10% off on merch. Shop.sickboypodcast.com 
or just head to the website and click on the shop link. That is it for this week. Until next next week, I'm Brian. I'm, I'm Taylor. I'm, Je- Je- I'm Jeremy. <laughs> and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.